Hey, how you doing? Welcome to Series 2 of the Fell Pony Podcast. I'm Tom Lloyd, and it's really lovely to have you here again. As ever, I'm really looking forward to today's show. I've been trying to record this one for a while now. We're going to go into the finer points of breeding with my guest, whose credentials in the show ring tell you that anything he doesn't know about breeding fell ponies isn't worth knowing. So I would like to introduce you to today's guest, Bert Moreland, judge and breeder of the Loonsdale fell ponies who have won shows at the highest levels. So Bert, how are you doing? I'm fine. I know you still keep a few mares, Bert. Have they all foaled yet? Yeah, wonderful. So tell me about them. What have you had? Uh, I've five Danish mares, four foaled, four colts. Eight fell mares in foal, seven foaled, one to foal, and there's four fillies, three colts. Okay, doing all right then. Okay, so Bert, I'd like to go right back to the start, if that's okay. So... Were your family farmers and horsemen? Did they keep fell ponies? Yeah, my grandfather registered the last I can see in records, uh, 1926. And so they would have kept that on the farm for doing just work and other work, po- work, Yeah, it'd be work pony, yeah. I think you do general farm work on a hill farm, yeah. I read in your book, Bert, that age 10 you were long reigning ponies and by 11 you were mowing yourself with a pair of ponies. Yes, I can remember that. There were uh, off deer's mares. There were uh, more general purpose than than uh, a pony. Under fifteen hands, they were like they called them then gen- general purpose by classical crossroads. So when did you first? I mean, you said your grandfather had a fell. When did you first really get into the world of fell ponies? Then I was always interested, and uh, and at eighteen. I worked for, for a farm in Hebrewville and uh, he, he grazed, he used to graze one or two large, bigger than fell ponies. And he, he met up at Penrith Market every every week with one or two friends and he heard of two two breathers. Uh, I bought two, they were both by Horst um, Joe some some boy. Storm Boy, yo, I've heard of Storm Boy, yeah. Yeah, uh, but they weren't registered, and that's the first one I, ones I had. When I first went around, I, I got met Harry Wales at Penrith on a Tuesday, market day, and uh, and I said, what at the moment? What what is the most ideal for a pony? I was quizzing him. Well, he says, some boy, if you can go and see him, that's him, but what do you, most uh, traditional fell pony. So uh, I went to, all the way to near Keswick where he was, and I saw somewhere in his flesh. He was born the year before me. Ah, so Joe ba- is Joe Baxter, the, he, was he the stallion walker, Joe Baxter, or was that somebody else? Yeah, 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 that's Joe. There won't be that many people alive now that would know about Joe Baxter, the stallion walker. Can you, can you tell me a bit about him and his ponies and how that worked? When I first went around, the, he would travel about three years, I think. But he, he was travelling Dave's pony then, called Master John. He, he, he was later in the Dale's society. 
and he was using the, he wasn't my seat for cooperation. Stone Boy was. Stone Boy was your type, but Master John, yeah. so, so he had both, he had Stone Boy and Master John. Yeah, yeah. And so when you say he was a stallion walker, was that literally walking from stud to stud? Well, he came to Tebe to Jim Thompson's and, and George Potter Breeder on the train and got off the train and came to Roundford to Jim's Spornish and he went to Breathedale. Maybe six or eight miles for him. But he came on the train. So would that be because there were there were people who had mares and didn't want to keep a stallion, and so he was just doing a service? Well, no, but there wasn't many stallions kept. They're a nuisance, to be quite honest. The most farmers. People would know he was coming and he'd, what stay with you for a week or something. Uh, no, it stayed a day. A day, literally. Yeah, yeah. Come, come in the morning and go back and tea time. So what about Joe Baxter? Tell me about Joe Baxter. He must have been quite a horseman then. He's quite a character. <laughs> I bought my first registered pony at 23. And was that to start breeding or was that just to have as a workhorse? No, it's to start breed, breeding. And it, it was the mother of Lunzel Richard, who got used at town end stood and uh, he's a sire of uh, Townend Flash and uh, uh, another good man I can't think of a brilliant mover. You were getting into the the good movers and the good ponies right from the start then? Well, I liked all slight movement. I was told that the, the, right, good ponies had to move. Was your father a, a horseman? Yeah, he was good, good hand with horses. He broke me in that, yeah. I think I've heard or read somewhere you described your father as being quiet kind of manner and, and totally fearless which are the qualities in, that make a great horseman and and it's interesting that because I'd never heard anybody else say that you needed to be fearless but I can understand that totally and I, I wonder whether you just elaborate on that why why you'd need to be fearless with the ponies well you haven't got you mustn't be nervous you've got, got to always Look as control. It's about lowering your heart rate, isn't it? Even in a really, even in a stressful situation, you've got to just exude an air of calm around the horses. Yeah, yeah. And you moved to Roundthwaite Farm in T-Bay Gorge um, before the motorway was built. 1956. So what was life like back then on a hill farm on the edge of the Howgills before the motorway? You had to work to earn a living. Uh, and that was, were you sheep farming? Yes, sheep, as well as cattle. And did you do shepherding with your ponies? Uh, yes, I used to break about four in every summer. Uh, for uh, a soldier to a lady at Poole Bridge called Winnie Graham. Uh, gave her a fortnight's trial and never one come back. <laughs> uh, when I went up, on the, up the fellow, bareback at most nights, they're ready to work. So if you go back to when you started breeding, did you have an idea of the direction you wanted to go in? Well, I met up with a man called Ted Benson, Adam Curtis. He was a very, very knowledgeable fella. And 
he kept me right in a lot of uh, breeding points. He was a very clever man. But you would have had an idea in your head of what a fell pony should look like, I guess. Yeah, but I, I got benefited more by, by his knowledge. By Ted Benson? I've never met anybody else who could dis describe one like him. He had a job to Henry Toe sometimes, but he was an interesting fellow when he got to talk. I know a few fell pony breeders like that. But once you get them standing in front of a pony, you can't stop them talking about it. Yeah. What ponies were around back then? In the in the 50s, how many big herds of fell ponies were there? Tommy Thompson, Aston Gate, uh, Nobles and uh, Harry Wales. That was what herds was. Well, uh, Harry Wales used, used to say he had 12 mares. That's, I just know what he told me. Tommy Thompson and, uh, and Nobles would have 20, 20 mares each. And there would have been herds of unregistered ponies back then still, were there? Well, the Aston Gate ponies, they, they didn't register them after, after a certain date because they weren't worth any more registered than unregistered. So th this is in the 50s, after the tractors came in, when the market just dropped out for horses, is yeah, that right? Yeah, but I, they used to sell them in, at four-year-old geldings, with 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 more than fillies in the uh, 1950s through KBC even went for pit ponies ah for the pit ponies ah oh, okay uh, interesting um, uh, uh, the buyer was a man called Dryden Ward and so he was buying broken geldings to go straight no, down no, to work in the unbroken, pits unbroken 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 so unbroken yeah. geldings were worth more than mares and fillies at four year old yeah that would be four year old and did they did they just want geldings working down the pits? Is that why? Is that why? They must have had geldings, and I know there were certain stallions, but the the ones he was looking for was mostly geldings. And then at some point you bought Heltondale Sunny Boy, didn't you? Who I think was a wild one when he came to you, but ended up being a great shepherding pony. Is that right? Yeah, it was a handful. I bought him along with. Ted Benson, we was joined on. Ted, we, Ted used him as well as me. He was forty-two pound when we bought him. And was that a lot of money back then? It seemed to be plenty. <laughs> so, what was it about Heltondale Sunny Boy that drew you to him? He was a good mover and great for great legs. The only place where he was, he was rather weak in the neck. So you mentioned about um, ponies going down the pits, but who else was buying ponies then? You know, if you were if you were starting to get into breeding, who, what was the market? Who was buying fell ponies in the nineteen fifties? Well, Dryden Ward was was the main buyer. He, he bought in Kirby Stephen. Uh, he was a timber merchant from Woolsey, County Tottenham, and uh, he was. I can't think of anybody else that bought them. To go down the pitch. So people weren't buying them like they are now for pleasure riding and driving. That wasn't so no, much. No, 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 no. That was the main, main uh, sales job was uh, pit ponies. And so back then, whose ponies did you admire and look up to? Uh, Harry Wales, Lanthorpe ponies. And did you did you know Harry? Were you able to kind of go and talk to him about ponies and and see his well, ponies? Well, I used to meet him at Penrith, Market Day on, on a Tuesday. A very interesting man to talk to was Harry. 
very interesting man. And of course, you know, there's uh, most of the back then and even now, actually, a lot of the breeders would have been sheep farmers as as well as ponymen. But these, the ponymen are a little bit of a different breed, aren't they? So you would have connected with him, I guess, back then. Well, it, it was good to talk to him. He's a nice uh, gentleman, was Harry. And quite early on, you decided to get into breeding greys, didn't you, with Mountain Mist? Before Mountain Flash, there was got down to two grey mares in this side see and Peggy Crossan was uh, the secretary then and they both had called falls. I, I finished up owning them both later years. What was it about the grey? Was it the fact that there were so few of them around that drew you to the greys? Well uh, they were going to die out if somebody did, did something. Yeah. I mean, I know when I got into ponies seriously in the in the early 1990s, we only knew of a couple of grey ponies back then. There probably were more around, but, you know, when you saw a pony, were you looking at its colour or its movement or, or its confirmation or its bloodlines? It's confirmation, I think, what I look for. And uh, a lot of ponies had two white hand socks then. You didn't knock them for having white socks and white star. No, no. And uh, confirmation, it didn't matter whether they were bay, brown, black or grey, if the, if the confirmation was right. I, I, I've certainly picked up over the over the last 20, 30 years that among the fell pony breeders, certainly around the Howgills in that area, there's, there's a very strong bond between you and, you know, a, a, almost unspoken actually, but help each other out and... Uh, you know, a bit of buying and selling between you. Has that been really important, having the other pony men around? Oh, yeah, it's very important. I think uh, you can uh, buy a colt off, if you see off a good mare and uh, you want that line. You can, that's how I worked anyway. How often would you go and have a look at somebody else's herd and just stand amongst them and see what they got? Not, not so often, but you would, you would notice wondrous ticking your mind. And I read in Sue Millard's book that um, you're talking about Ted Benson. You'd actually really coveted one of Ted's pon- Ted's pony um, princess. I thought, I think it was called. Yeah. But he would never, he would never sell her to you. But I also noted that Ted thought that. Loonsdale Rebecca was a better pony than Princess and Sarge had said he'd never seen a better pony in his lifetime and you'd refused to sell her to him. Uh, it was rough show and she was champion and Sarge came was there and he did say that's the best fell pony I've ever seen. But what about Ted's pony Princess? Sarge had sold it and Thomas had sold it to Molly Lane because it went over to Kentmere. And and Ted Benson bought up Molly. She had a year or two, and that's when I first saw it. I believe you met Her Majesty the Queen at Lauda with Loonsdale Rebecca. Yeah. Um, and and she'd won, she'd won the Royal Show three times. That pony, I think, is that right? Yeah. And the Breed yeah, Show three times. Yeah, that's correct. I, I know you're going to say it was a confirmation of movement, but maybe can you talk a little bit about that pony and what you achieved with her? She was by 
Estellian and Red called uh, Luzel Henry, and she was her mother was under the grey dawn, I think. Is that right? Was she was she was she his grandmother? But that's be of of the old name Princess, I think. And I, I put our brother to have sister to get her. So you, you again you talk about that a little bit in your book, um and I, th I think if I get this right, what you're saying is you can put a half-brother to a half-sister if they've both got no faults and as long as there's a good outcross on one side. Is that correct? On both sides. On both sides? Yeah. There's got to be an outcross on both sides. Well, so something well, not related. Well, they're both by the same selling, but they're of different bread mares. And did when you started to do that then, did you, did you just like... You, you knew in your head that you wanted this particular mare with that particular stallion or were you just trying a stallion on a few mares? How did you go about that? Well, I was confident that I could be one off this, this putting these two, two together. And then once you've done that and you've got a foal that you like, is that something you, you did again? Well, it's hard to match it again. Some of our listeners may know that I've used a few Loonsdale stallions over the years. Um, Loonsdale Warlord, Loonsdale Mercury and Tarquin. Tarquin is actually the sire of my own stallion, Geronimo. And I've always thought that your ponies bring a bit of a touch of class to the table. So let, let's get down a little bit to the finer points of breeding, Bert. When a foal's first born, it's quite good. You can get quite good an, of an idea of how it's put together. So what part of its body are you looking at first? Its leg, its legs and next to the shoulder. They must have a good laid shoulder and the next in, in high. So you talk about the importance of shoulder and the shorter line on a pony being under the neck, yeah? Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, for somebody that so somebody that doesn't really understand it yet, how can you explain that in a, in a more detail? Uh, Ted used to say that the shortest point of a horse is un, un, under its neck. So that's from under its neck to the yeah. to the top of its legs. To the to the breast. The breast, yes, yes. From the jaw to the breast, and the longest point of a pony wants to be the 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 top of the neck, from the withers to the back of the ears. And then you, you you've got it right. You, you've got movement. Anything with a straight shoulder, they can't move. So this short line underneath and the long line on top. Can can that get too long? Is there a point where it's too long? No, no, I've never seen one too long. If they've got a shoulder, they'll move, always move. Long back or short back? Well, that's uh, I'm glad you asked that, that question because the slope of your shoulder determines how long, how long your back's going to be. Yeah, okay. So the length of the pony might not change, but the length of the shoulder will dictate the yeah. length of the back. Correct. Ah, that's really interesting. It's all starting to make more sense now. It's all starting to click. Because um, if I if I look back through the the black book, the, the stud book, um, for me, the pony I like best in there is Mountain Ranger, and he he had quite a short back. So what what's wrong with a long back? Why why do you want a short back? Is or is it just because it's the length of the shoulder, length of the neck and the shoulder? WJ Dent. Farmer at Caber, farmer at Caber, uh, 
where where I went after school and after we'd finished at home on a night to feed his calves and etc. He said there wasn't such a thing as a long black horse. The shoulder did miss how long we were back going to be. So when you're choosing a stallion, again, I think you've said this somewhere, I've picked this up, I'm sure it's from you, that a stallion will pass on faults and, it, and it's very important to have a stallion with good round feet, flat bone and again a short back. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So when you're choosing a stallion, you've got mares in mind that you, you want to improve. So are you looking for a stallion that's going to bring qualities that improve the mares? Well, if you get a stallion that's uh, with very good confirmation, he, has, he, sh- he shouldn't have many faults. But I also know that you, you know, you often talk about the fact that you're always trying to improve your breed. Are we talking like little finer points here? How, how, you know, what is your thinking there about how do, how you improve what you've got to make it better? I'm a stickler for every point being right, and if you have good joints and uh, and a head, like a, a short, a short head with a good good flat broad flat broad between the eyes and good broad nostrils you, you, when you look around a lot, a lot aren't that correct there. And what's so important about you having a small head? Well I'm, I'm just going to watch uh, what uh, Ted Benson for one he didn't like a, a big ugly head. Big big uh, heavy heads not fell upon the characteristics because I know my dad used to say that when he first got um, ponies from Sarge Noble back in the 50s, he'd, at the time, Sarge was using a pony called Glen Welt, who was actually, you know, there's a lot of Dales in him. And, and Sarge had described Glen Welt as a great big, ugly brute with a big head. Um, but he still used him and he became, he went on to be one of Sarge's most prolific stallions. So there must have been something about, something about him. Well, it may be all they could get in that day, that time. At time. So there was there was very few ponies around then back then. There was no to speak from. Are you ready? This is the bit we've been waiting for. Each week I ask our guests to call the herd home. I haven't warned you about this and you're gonna to have to trust me now. So basically I'm gonna call my mares home and I want you to call do whatever your call is to call your mares home. Hang on, I'm gonna go first and then you do yours, right? Okay. Come on! Come on home! Right, Bert, how do you do it? Come on! Come on! Come on! Help! Come on! If you like what you're hearing, why not come and join the herd at Patreon and help us continue to provide great content for free. As well as podcasts, we've already uploaded over an hour of Felpony films to our Felpony Adventures YouTube channel. So come and join the herd at patreon.com slash felpony. When you're judging, because obviously you know you're a very long, long-serving, well-respected judge. When a pony walks into the ring, what's the first thing you're looking at? It's walk. If 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 they can walk, the the they'll be good good elsewhere. So when you're saying when it can walk, are you talking about how it picks its feet up? No, how it strides out. Okay, length of the stride. Yeah. So you want it to cover some ground? Is that what you're saying? And snappy, good sharp walker. And then, so after you've looked at the walk, what, what's next? What's the next thing you're looking for? Shoulder. Well, it, 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 it won't be a good walker if it's a straight shoulder. 
any with a good slope shoulder can walk. And the, I'm looking for uh, compensation points such as the way neck set in his head and legs and the, the way they carry themselves. You'll never see a pony carry itself well when, it, when they come in the ring if they, if they have confirmation faults. How many different bloodlines do you have in your herd, Bert? You know, have you, have you, are they... Are they all going back to the same place? Have you brought other stuff in? Are you, are you, are you, do, you, do you even look at it like in terms of different bloodlines within your I, herd? I, I think I've four different families. That's why I, I keep breeding my own sterlings. So that's interesting. So if you've got four different families within your own herd and you're bringing in the right stallion, you can use the colt off one family to start serving mares from another family. Is that right? Correct, yeah. Okay, but but you've basically, for the last 20, 30 years, just been able to keep on breeding within within your own herd. You, you yes, I, bought, I, bought, I have a young stallion now from uh, Bob Beatty's Stendica ponies, which, uh, which fits the, the bill. He's a very excellent mover and his uh, combination good one of the best movers I've ever bought in. How many stallions would you need to keep yourself to be able to do that? You know, because if you've only got one stallion like myself, I can't do that. I, I swap stallions with somebody else every year, every other year. Um, but if you're if you're able to just keep it all within your own herd, you, you need more than one stallion, do you? Well, I have two. I have a, one for clear, FIS clear, there's a carrier, so I can sort the mess that way at the moment. Most people think, oh, you want fillies because they're going to be bringing the best prices and I might want to keep them, but actually you'll be looking for a good colt every few years as well, just as a keeper. Yeah, I have... Uh, there's uh, three colts this time, they're all standard material, and I... I think this child is young enough, I'll let them all think. At my age, it's hard work, but they are selling material, all three. I think it was, um, I think it might have been Tommy Capstick actually said to me a long time ago, your stallion's half the herd, and it's half the work as well. It's, it, because you, your stallions won't be able to run out on the common, so they'll be kept no. in, kept in yeah. a lot of the time, yeah? Yeah. So when you're serving the mares, do you serve them in hand, or do, you, do they have a little pallet? No, I run with them. We were talking a minute ago about the fact that you've got four different bloodlines or four different family groups within the Loonsdale ponies. Do those do those ponies do those families have different qualities or a different stamp, or are they all actually very similar to look at? They're all a type. All of a type, yeah. Yeah. When I first took these ponies on, um, Dennis Irwin actually, who gave me a bit of help back then, he was saying, you know, you need to work out what it is you want to breed. What kind of pony are you wanting to breed? So I'm going to ask you that, but you must have decided you wanted to breed a certain kind of pony. Are you able to put that into words, what it is? Well, 13-2 was my height limit for the fell, because I found that the others struggled on the fell, to live on the fell. And uh, most of them born mares now will be 13-2. I can't do with ugly heads, big ugly heads and uh, big ears. That's one of the points. I can't do anything 
with plain legs. I can't deal with anything that's wrong, confirmation wrong. Is it important for you that the stallions are that size or can you use a bigger or smaller stallion? I suppose what I'm asking is where does the most influence come from? Does it come from the mares or from the stallion or is it what happens when you put the two together? If you breed them all the stamp, you don't need to use big stallion. That's my, my experience anyway. I don't know how many ponies you've bred over the years. Um, but you must have bred hundreds of hundreds of Loonsdale ponies. Do, do you have a favourite or one you're the most proud of? My favourite was Rebecca. She was born in uh, 30 years ago, roughly. Uh, I always enjoyed seeing her whether she on the fellerine by. She she was if she started she she was up head up and uh, and movement was was second and on. Why is it important that we have fell ponies living on a fell in a semi-feral conditions? Well, once once we, we lose them, I think the fell, fell ponies deteriorate. I've said this before, but you can have a pony born in a paddock, the third generation, somewhere down on good grass in the south on a lowland, and it looks like a fell pony, and its passport says it's a fell pony. But what's different about that pony than one that's bred out on a fell? Some are okay, but some aren't. They've got, when they're uh, done better than normal, they, they, they grow where they shouldn't. They grow where they shouldn't. Uh, strong hocks for a start, you'll tend to get round bone. So round bone, I can I understand that easy. When you say strong hocks, what, what do you mean exactly by that? A little hocks, a little hock, and what anything else isn't. Okay, so it doesn't want to be too big. No, as far back as I remember, the 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 older men used to say it shows not hocks you can put in your waistcoat pocket. Ah, there you go. That's nice. A hawk you can put in your waistcoat pocket. So I know yeah. you know some some people like Bill Potter will talk about um, a Paston and. Um, Tommy Capstick used to talk about good feet. Yeah, yeah, and uh, passing and joints. Uh, they've got to be, if a good a good leg pony is correct all the way down. Earlier on in this conversation, you were saying that you know back in the fifties there, there weren't that many big herds actually. So, do you think the semi-feral herds are more at risk than they've ever been, or actually are we not in a bad place at the minute? Uh, I can see, see them uh, look. Move, loss of the fell if you're not, we're not careful. People are getting older and uh, these other bodies who want them off the fell, they're doing this damage and that damage, but where they've been ponies for years, there's no, no evidence of damage. Advice to somebody wanting to start to breed Bert, what, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to start a little herd or even if you just a couple of mares and a stallion you know what to look for to get started for breeding quality ponies well my advice is uh, buy a mare something between 31 and 33 uh, good confirmation good flat bone hot oxygen put in your waistcoat pocket and good open feet and good joints and good movement and 
if you could only find one or just buy the one that sell buy two. And then you've got to find the right stallion to go with it, haven't you? Well, you'd have to look around, yeah. We we can't have this conversation, but without talking about Carol, um, who sadly passed away a few years ago, and I know. You know, over the years, you both have given me so much help and support. And, you know, I, I loved it whenever I was at a meeting and Carol was there because you always knew it was going to be a really lively meeting. Carol, she'd always, she'd speak her mind, Carol, as you do as well. But it was a real partnership, wasn't it, what you two had going for, for many years? Yeah. Very interesting, yeah. And and am I right in thinking that you met at harness, harness racing? I think that would be correct yeah yeah because you uh, some of our listeners probably don't know this but you were a, I think you were a professional harness racer and you were at the top of your game weren't you when you were a young man well competitive so tell me about that so I know it's not fell ponies but I, I really want to hear about the harness racing what kind of horses is that and I, I mean I think going back it was quite a thing up in the north wasn't it it doesn't happen so much nowadays I bet it's quite a buzz isn't it driving one of those fast horses it was in them days, yeah. It was a good sport, a good uh, family sport. And Kendall Raceway was uh, very good at tens. Harness racing was a real sport going back, what, are we 60s, 70s? Yeah, well, later than that. It was uh, uh, 1983, I won Muscle that's the biggest race of the, the season. The owner came to me in March, he said, I want a lady drive this the horse this season. I got on him at Kendall Raceway and tried him around corners and adjusted his gear and told him what angle to, to show him on. And, uh, and then they brought him again, uh, that fortnight before, and then they brought him again a week before. And I said, keep that bit of me. I said, it'll look on Dad in the in the winning enclosure, and I was right. And right at the start, you mentioned you'd had some Dales ponies, so I know quite a few of the fell pony men are Dales, Dales pony men as well. Tell me a bit about the difference. Does a fell pony move different to a Dale? Is it the same? Is it just the same shape but bigger? What What's the difference between fells and Dales? No, they, sh- they should move as good, if a right one. Uh, a Dales when the, when the motorway came, a couple of days mass, and then I couldn't keep them that they go then, and then Arthur Slack one Tuesday night, Kirby Steve says there's a mare the one you'd have she'd be seven year old then that'll be ooh, roughly twenty years ago. And I went and looked at her, I bought her, and uh, that's what we uh, sell it, everything's bred from her. They're fr- from her lines. But they're quite, they're quite different, are they? Because I know if you go back to the formation of the Fell Pony Society, you could, you could uh, put a Fell mare to a Dale Stallion, or a Dale's mare to a Fell Stallion, and, and the foal could be registered as a Fell or a Dale or both. But, um, you know, those days are long gone now, aren't they? They're, they're, they're quite separate breeds now. Yeah. The, the, the 14-2 is the height for Dales, but I'm afraid they've gone beyond that now. They're getting bigger? Yeah. Is, is that because the market's looking for bigger ponies for riding? Well, I think 
the Danish Polish Society were challenged on this. That's where the height went wrong. So interesting times for the Dales as well as the Fells then. I mean, I think there's, there's very few Dales around, aren't there? The Dales are more endangered than the Fells. My opinion, this is my opinion. If they don't stick to the, to, to the height limit, they're going to go, go wrong. Some of these big ones, I, I call them vanners. What they used to do when I was a kid. Yeah, so vanners is I, that's the kind of pony I'd know for pulling a boat up caravan, isn't it? You know, a big, bigger thing. You said a couple of times in this conversation, you said that things changed when the motorway came at, at T Bay. All mainly in lowland went, and I they were living on the farm, so I had to do, do something different. And uh, I got a wagon dealt in hay and straw. And there wasn't time to bother to spend with the ponies. There was a year or two I, I didn't breed them. But the passion was always there, and you've obviously got back into it again. Oh, yes, if I saw when I bought it. So where are you happiest, Bert? One one thing gave me a good buzz was Lewis Lucky Lady at Libya. There was canter round and canter up the middle when they won. And Lizzie Bryant wrote it. I said, I asked her, just trot please and what's that mare trot I have a video of it is give it to anybody who goes oh that's nice that's nice I, I do this with everybody but I've got three quick questions for you um, one word answers if you like but you can go on a bit further if you don't if you've got more to say so the first first question is ride or drive I used to like driving yeah Favourite pony or line of ponies in the history of the breed? Uh, well, the first one I, I really saw light before I bred one was Heldner Princess. And then the one I liked most was Lunda Rebecca. I knew you were going to say that. Um, okay, third question. Black, brown, bay or grey? Any, any of them good confirmation. <laughs> uh, come on, one, give me one. Black, brown, bay or grey? No. You're not going to? Well, I'll, I'm going to tell you what Tom, Tommy Johnson once said to me at Penn's one Tuesday. He, he read the, the Aston Gate ponies. He says, a dark brown is very hard, the hardest pony there is. Hard, you mean in terms of being able to survive up on the fell? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Like a sled ale, like a lot of the sled ales. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Oh, that's it. I'm done, Bert. There'll be a lot we can talk about yet, Tom. Okay, well, look, Bert, as I said at the start, you have given me an enormous amount of help and support and encouragement over the years, and, you know, I'm really grateful for that, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Bert, and um, I, I hope you have many more foals to come. Well, I'll welcome everyone. You look after yourself, Bert. You have a good summer, and enjoy all the time with your ponies. Thanks, Tom. Listening back to that conversation has truly made me realise the importance of making the time to just stop and talk with the older generations of breeders, much of whose knowledge was passed on to them through previous generations of horsemen and horsewomen. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to the show. If you liked it, please do me a favour and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you really liked it, do me an even bigger favour and leave a review. It will really help us get the word out. 
huge thanks to my patrons who make all this possible. Charlie, Emma, Kate, Chris, Hannah, Alistair, Chris, Caroline, Kate, Jenny, Joe, Easy Horse, Willow, Rath, Mandy, Sue, Katie, Rue, Kalina, Matthew, Sue, Jane, Jess, Heather, Kim, Jennifer, Karen, Ruth, Timothy, Jennifer, Sarah, Helen, Misao, Samantha and Dobby. Thank you so much. I am eternally grateful for your support. So why not come and join the Patreon herd and help us keep this podcast alive? Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and you'll be able to find more episodes wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. I'm Tom Lloyd and you're listening to the Fell Pony Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>